Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please now, for the sake of your Son, send your Holy Spirit to write the truth of your word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. We confess that we are weak and frail. We come before your word trembling. These are the very words of God. Come and and speak to us. Lift up our hearts, encourage us in our walk with Jesus. Point us to him. Draw us ever closer to him, to one another. Search our hearts, O Lord. Point your finger at our sin. Convict us of where we have failed you. And remind us again of how strong and mighty you are to save us. Teach us again what it is to walk with you. Show us again how to shun the world and love righteousness. We want to honor you. Would you come and and do it even now as we read and hear your word? Pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31. Your your bulletins are wrong and it's my fault. We're not doing all of chapter 31. We're doing verses 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord from Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. Behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. 
It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy and inspired word. You know, once in a while, when she's not extremely busy, um, Morgan in the office will look at me, maybe towards the end of her day, and, and ask if there's anything that she can do for me. It's a very kind thing for her to do. More than once, I have responded to her by asking if she can give me a few more hours in every single day of my week. Um, you know, it's a silly joke, but we've all made that joke. You know, can I do anything for you? Do you need anything? Well, I need more time. It's a great idea. It really would be nice, you know, if, if the days were 25 hours, just to make them nice and round. Maybe add an eighth day to every week just to get that kind of nice plum number, you know, 200 hours in a week. You know, do, do you feel this? The constant backlog of tasks and projects and homework and housework. A friend of mine used to tell me, he was a minister, I would, I'd say, how are you this week? Can I do anything for you? And he'd say, I'm, I'm always behind. And you do feel like that? I feel like most of us feel like that. I'm always behind. There's always something, always something. Doesn't it feel like you have to choose between things? You know, okay, do we get to have date night or do we need to go grocery shopping? See? Do we get to spend quality time with the children today or do I need to mow the grass? Or, you know, it breaks down and you say, okay, what, what portion of my day off am I going to devote to trying to catch up with things back at the office? Maybe you do what I do sometimes. I get out a sheet of paper and I'll write down everything, my, my whole list of things, just in one line all the way down. And at first, a little bit encouraging to write it all down. Oh, it's only that much? But in practice, it, it feels like when you, you get going, is there's no room to come up for air. This little list just takes up all that time and space in my world, and it does, week by week year by year. You know, it may not seem like it, but Exodus 31 is a snapshot of a week well lived before the Lord. Beginning in chapter 24, the Lord outlined, he began to to tell Moses all the specifics for his worship among the people. The tabernacle, the altar, the priestly services, the measurements, the weights, the the ingredients, the materials. And now we've gotten to the end of the list. And all that remains is for these things to be crafted. The Lord has particular men chosen in his mind. He intends to equip them for their work. And, and while they work, the Lord reminds them that they must maintain the weekly Sabbath. That their consecrated work of, of building and crafting all of the necessary components of the worship service, 
this work, holy as it may be, the Lord says, must not supplant their covenant with God to obey all that he has commanded. The first set of instructions here in this passage, 1 through 11, these are certainly instructions particular for these craftsmen, for Bezalel and Aholiab and the other gifted men. But their instructions can serve to encourage all of us as God's people in our regular labors. The Lord supports and strengthens and enables His people to live before Him and work heartily unto Him. And then the Sabbath reminder, beginning in verse 12 down through 17, encourages us in our regular rest. It reminds us and and reminds them that the Lord calls us, even in the midst of good work before the Lord, He calls us to stop, to rest, to be refreshed. I hope you can see the outline. Um, it's, it's, It's a rhythm of life for the people of God. Six days of work before the Lord and a day of rest before the Lord. Bezalel, Aholiab, and the other able men are called by God and filled, do you see it? Verse 3, filled with the Spirit of God to construct the tabernacle. God, you may think of it like this, he, he is the chief architect. He has set out all of the plans. He will accomplish the task. And here he's hand-selecting his, his junior associates, as it were, to come and work with him as he gets the tabernacle built. These men are able, we see that, but to this natural skill that they possess, the Lord promises to add ability and intelligence, to add knowledge to their their minds to in, increase their ability to craft and devise artistic designs. You see it, middle of four to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. You know, presumably there being everything that I've said needs to be made, I'm giving skill to these men so that they may be able to make it. Look at it again, it, it's there in the beginning. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. God specially blesses these men with all that they need to accomplish the work to which God has called them. They're commanded to make all that the Lord has been instructing and describing in these last many chapters, you know, beginning there in verse 7. The tent of meeting, the ark, the mercy seat, the furnishings, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the basin, its stand, the garments, the incense, the oil, and, and all of the utensils that may go along with this. Everything that he's described that will be used for his worship, these men are specifically called 
to make them and craft them. Now pay attention. Notice that the Lord does not simply give the designs and then command Moses to get it done. Verses 1 through 11, if they hadn't been there, it would have been an awfully daunting task for anybody to seek to accomplish. I mean, you've sat through all of the long readings, right? All of these many words and much ink spilled over the very detailed buildings that the Lord has set up for these people. All the measurements of the tabernacle and the measurements of the courtyard walls and the measurements of the ingredients to go into the oil and the incense, all of these numbers and names of things that you just can't seem to pronounce, you know, whenever you try to read them on your own. What a fearful thing to consider approaching projects like these that have been set apart as holy and consecrated unto God. But our God is full of kindness and compassion. And he promises here, not that they should just figure out how to make these on their own, but he promises here the energizing presence of his spirit so that the components necessary for his worship may be made with proper skill and attention. And here's the principle. What God commanded of them he equips them to accomplish do you see this is what you have to do and I will pour myself out so that you might be able to do it let's back up for one second think with me you you can understand in that Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are often parallel offices. You may think about, um, in in the Old Testament, there were prophets and priests. In the New Testament, we have preachers and teachers. You can go to Ephesians 4 and see how some of these connect. There's other ways to look at, at, at the parallels between offices. You remember when Jethro came to Moses and called him to appoint elders among the people of Israel to help with the overseeing of the people. Certainly those are just precursors to what is New Testament Presbyterianism, ruling elders and deacons at work in the midst of the people. It is hard to come up with New Testament parallels for these craftsmen. We don't, we don't have an, an artisan in residence at our church. I don't know. I'm sure there is some church out there that has something like that. Probably, hopefully not in our denomination. These artisans don't have a parallel in the New Testament. The worship of God has become much simpler now in our day and age, right? We, we don't need men to craft all of these things. We just need a preacher with a Bible and then access to wine and bread and water. And we're done. That's all we need. There are no New Testament Basilels. But in this text, we can see a principle that can be applied to every believer. That's what we already said. The Lord equips those he calls. The Lord equips those he calls. So, Christian, in your work and in your marriage and in your child-rearing, 
in your service to the church. Don't deny that these things are overwhelming, aren't they? That our weeks pile up and we can't seem to see through the list of things in front of us. All good things, perhaps, that we've engaged to do and promised to accomplish. So much to do and so much weakness in ourselves. I don't know how to be a good husband on my own. You don't know how to be a good father or mother on your own. For all of His people, the Lord equips those who belong to Him. This is why we can find texts in Scripture that speak to the people of God, that say things like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He has called you to the place that you are in, wherever it may be. And for you, as his child, God will take care of you and watch over you. And you may feel insufficient all the time, but he gives everything you need to walk with Him and to be faithful to Him and to seek after Him in whatever circumstance may come about. You know, it doesn't apply directly, but but all of this makes me think about what Paul writes in in Romans chapter 8 where he says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, these men were weak on their own. They couldn't have done what the Lord called them to do, but what does it say? He sends the Spirit of God to them to give them what they needed so also for you, Christian. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Lord equips you for your life before Him. And it is in this sense and in this context that it's easy to make this point that the Sabbath day in the life of God's people is not the only day of remembrance of our God. That may sound silly for me to say, and you may think, preacher you've lost your mind of course you remember God every day the Lord's day is is special the Sabbath is is wonderful and it is a blessing and we're going to talk more about that in a a moment but do you see how in, in, in their general work which is clearly designated as something that happens not on the Sabbath do you see how how in God's equipping of them and and in his movement among them to give them these skills and to keep them going along in their task do you see that that the memory of God is peppered throughout the life of God's people that as we we move through our six day lives all of those other days besides the Lord's day we're we're not simply waiting for the day when we can remember him but we're remembering him right now Remembering that he gives strength to the weary and he lifts up the faint-hearted for the tasks in front of him. These craftsmen remembered God on their work days. Certainly. Don't you think? Certainly because of their unique task. But also because the Lord was the one giving them what they needed for it. Strength and energy and skill. And he does the same for you. For all that you have in front of you. For, for all that God has called you to, He upholds you and He guides you. And there's a clue here as to how He does that. 
Notice the closing command for Bezalel and his company, the very end of verse 11. Something we've heard over and over again in these passages. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Right? Again and again. And again and again. We see that the Lord requires that he be served and worshipped according to his standards. Right? It was repeated over and over again as we went through these passages. This is what the tabernacle needs to look like. And you better do it the way I told you to do it. And this is what the incense ingredients need to be. And you better do it the way I told you to do it. And all along, you know, scattered throughout those passages are warnings if we go against them. God will be worshipped. God will be followed according to his standard. And we've, we've spent time applying this to the really would be a more particular principle called the regulative principle of worship, that we worship God the way he's prescribed in the scriptures. But there's a broader sense to this regulative principle. We might even call it the regulative principle of life. Do you remember the first shorter catechism? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We often stop to, sh- well, that's often where we stop, to be fair. Um, there's 106 more of them. Go find them. Memorize them. Do you remember the second question? What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Our chief end is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. How do we do it, asks the second question. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. The first shorter catechism doesn't give us permission to just go out and sort of, as long as we intend to glorify God, we can do whatever we want. The catechism rightly teaches that our chief end is to glorify and enjoy God as we live according to His Word. The regulative principle of life. Paul writes about in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. To what end? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How does God guide you and equip you? How does he lead you in these six days? How How does he draw you along that you may follow after him and obey him and please him? It's by his word and spirit. It's through this book applied to your heart by the spirit of the living God. For your work, for your marriage, for your parenting, for your service in the church and everything else in between, it is the word of God. You must cling to it. You must read it and know it and love it, but especially, most especially, you must sit under it proclaimed by the ministers of God's church. This is especially, our confession of faith says, especially how God ministers to you through his word. It's right here, right now. You know, for me and Tim, that's terrifying. But brother, God equips those he calls, doesn't he? Praise the Lord. It's through the word that he equips you and then he draws you and then he leads you. So cling to it. Don't run away from it. According to all that he has commanded, you shall do.
you know, the next part of this passage, I was talking to Caitlin earlier, it seems incredibly out of place. For the Lord to just suddenly reiterate the Sabbath commandment all over again. Haven't we heard this enough, we may say? We have heard it many, many times. He's repeated it several times since he gave it um, in Exodus 20. And even it was there before. But in context, it makes sense. You know, the Lord has just called these men to build the tabernacle. He's called them to this great consecrated work, but they're not to do it on the Sabbath day. Uh, If you look in in the beginning, uh, the middle of verse 13, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, my translation says, above all you shall keep my Sabbath. Some of you may have words like certainly or indeed. Essentially, the Lord is saying, Bezalel, Aholiab, you are to work with skill and intelligence. You are to build my tabernacle. But above that work, you will certainly keep my Sabbath day. Don't think that because I've called you to a special thing that you get to avoid the Sabbath day. Don't think that, that this work you've called me, that I've called you to, is so significant that you need to work, you know, 53 days in a row until it's finished without taking a break so that it can be done and ready. No, he says you stop every seventh day and rest. And at this point, it would be easy for us, admittedly, the thought crossed my mind for, for, I'll confess for a moment, it would be easy for us to brush past this reiteration of the Sabbath law. We've heard it several times, but... but this passage adds two unique points. One of them, it's, it's the second thing that we read, it's, it's, it's mentioned a few times there. One of them is that there's a new punishment for profaning the Sabbath day. Look at 14. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. That really ought to kind of jump out at you. What? Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. To be cut off and to be put to death in context really are just saying the same thing. It's become popular today that Sabbath practice and observance is sort of personal preference. Well, I think this is what the Bible means and I think this is what the Bible means. And even among ministers in our own denomination, very many do not take the principle as seriously as they should. But do you see that to profane the Sabbath day brought death? I mean, let that sink in for a second. Very, very few things were tagged with capital punishment even in God's Old Testament law. The Sabbath day, to profane it, means you shall be put to death at the very least and, and you know we capital punishment's not attached to the fourth commandment anymore but the commandment has not gone away the lord simply attached it to every part of his law it's a creation mandate it's a moral law it's a part of the ceremonial law here it's a part of the judicial law some of those a couple of those things have passed away and expired with the people of israel but the moral law and the creation mandate have 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 continued to exist and will always exist as an expression of the character of God. 
And so serious was it even in the life of his Old Testament people that it required death as a punishment for breaking it. At the very least, this should give us much pause in our own practice, shouldn't it? Not so much has changed from the Old Testament that we should ignore this principle. But there's another unique element here that's a little more, um, a little more of a bright spot. Look at verse 13. You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Jump down to 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Two thoughts. First, the Sabbath is a sign. This is new language. Think about a sign. Think about Noah. The sign that God gave Noah that the church ought to reclaim, by the way. A rainbow in the sky. Reminding Noah and reminding all of us since of what God did. And he is righteous and perfect and he judged the world with equity and goodness. And he brought wickedness to an end in that age, but he promised never to do it like that again. Think about Moses. The sign of circumcision. A constant reminder of his grace and his mercy that one day blood would be spilled that would redeem his people for himself. A picture, a reminder. The Lord says here, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a sign, a divinely instituted reminder of what God has done and of what he promises to do. There are many that would suggest and argue for the Sabbath becoming a moot point in the New Testament, that Christ has fulfilled it and done away with it. At the very least, I would suggest, it, just by way of argument, that unless you think that Christ has also fulfilled the fifth commandment and you should, you know, you, you can dishonor your parents, or unless you think he's fulfilled the sixth commandment and now you can murder freely because you're a Christian, I don't think that he's fulfilled the fourth commandment in the sense that it has gone away entirely. The sign of the Sabbath is not identical to the one in the Old Testament. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus on the first day of the week has has ever so slightly just shifted the, the, the sign a little bit. The Old Testament people looked forward to the coming Messiah and the Sabbath pointed forward to him as the rest that they would receive when he came. The salvation they would receive and the God of mercy and grace that had saved them out of Egypt. And we in our day and age as New Testament Christians, we look back. The Sabbath reminds us of what Christ did for us. That he died and rose again. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday, right? It's a reminder. It's a sign And yet still the Christian Sabbath continues like the Old Testament Sabbath to point us forward, right? 
and what the, he, the author of Hebrews says, that, that there is yet remaining a final rest for the people of God. That it reminds us of what God has done, and it reminds us of what God is going to do. Still a sign, continually, in per- Oh, Caitlin and I were fighting about this word, not fighting, arguing about this word at the table, perpetuity, and the different ways you can, you can, um, you can twist that, you know, perpetuitous. There's all sorts of ways we can say it. It's abiding and significant and meaningful even in the life of God's people. It is a sign, but it is also meant for our rest and refreshment. Did you catch 17? It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That should strike you as strange. Does God need to rest? Does he need to be refreshed? No, of course not. He is the all-sufficient, self-sufficient one. He gives life and breath to everything. He needs no rest. Why did he? So that we might have a pattern. So that we might follow his example. The Sabbath is not burdensome. It is life-giving. And this is God's intention for it. This is what Jesus meant when he told the Pharisees, man was not made for the Sabbath. That's what they thought. They thought we need all these rules and all these regulations. We need to, you know, everything that the Lord has given us is so burdensome and we just need to make it more burdensome. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for your rest and for your refreshment after God's pattern and testimony in creation. The Lord knows your weekly labor. Do you think God had foresight enough when he created the world and he knew that his people needed a break? Even before sin, the Sabbath existed. And even more so after sin, do we need it? We are weary from this world. And we struggle against sin and Satan. And we desire the rest that only the next world will bring. And the Lord says, you stop one time a week. You remember what I have done and what I will do. So on the Lord's Day, we remember that though we are sinners dead in our own right, destined for hell and the grave forever. God has saved us by our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this day, He was raised. And on, on this day, we remember that He is in heaven, sitting enthroned, ruling and reigning, protecting us as His people. And we remember that one day He will return again. And He will judge all things and make it all right and all the sad things will become untrue. And you will one day, someday, do you know, do you remember, you will not be able to sin, beloved, because of what Christ has done for you. The Lord is with you in your weekly work. By His Word and Spirit, He provides you with strength and courage to live before His face in whatever circumstance He calls you to. And every week, with no exceptions, he promises to come near to you again in a special way and refresh your heart.
Every week, this day, He reminds us again that He has saved us. And so our struggle with our children and with, with our spouses and with our, with, with our matters of obedience and submission and, and, and in all of the difficulties of our life, our struggle with sin again and again, none of these keep Him away for every week again comes the Lord's day when He draws near to you and He beckons you to be refreshed in your faith and remember what Christ has done. The Lord has given you all you need to live before Him. All you need for life and godliness. It's found in His Word. He blesses you and He gives you strength that you might walk with Him. And He provides rest and refreshment on a regular basis in the ordinances of His worship and the fellowship of His people. It's a perpetual, there it is, a perpetual reminder of the grace and mercy of our God. Amen. Father, come again and send your Holy Spirit for the sake of the Lord Jesus to write the truth of your word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. We love you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you Thank you for this day, a refreshment and a renewal, a restart. Help us that all of this week we may cling to you in faith, trusting always in the Lord Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.